So Luke 22, verse 7. Uh, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we'll stop there. Um, right, I'll tell you a quick story. When I got married, um, before I got married, just over 25 years ago, see, I got it right, um, we had a stag do. My, my friends, so-called friends, organized a stag do for me. And um, I won't bore you with all the details, but, but it did involve, first of all, me being literally chained to a fire hydrant. Uh, dressed as a monk uh, and put on trains and sent to places during during rush hour, uh, dressed as a monk with a fire hydrant chained to me. Uh, and then, thankfully, I was led to an Indian restaurant on Fleet High Street where where Kate was with the ladies at a nice civilized hen night. And Kate had the, the key to unlock the padlock so that I was free from the chains. It was lovely. Um, but then the whole evening culminated in me being placed in a small inflatable dinghy on the canal. And uh, this dinghy, unfortunately, had a, uh, a leak. Uh, so air was coming out of it. So it actually had a little uh, pump, and you could, every now and then, you'd have to blow it to keep it afloat so that you stayed afloat lying on your back in this dinghy. Uh, and... Um, it was, it was placed just under, in front of the bridge, one of the canal bridges, with, with ropes on either side to hold me in position so that I was stuck in the middle of the canal with all my friends up on the bridge looking down on me uh, uh, with this. And they proceeded to uh, try me uh, for heresy. Um, and um, they asked me all sorts of really easy questions, like who was Pope in 468 B, uh, A.D.? And, and all these sort of questions. Of course, whenever I got a question wrong, there was eggs and flour and all the rest uh, as I was lying there. It was, this, it was the Spanish Inquisition. Um, and one of the questions that was asked of me were, was, what are the seven sacraments? <laughs> and, um, I mean, I, just out of interest, could anybody answer that question? What are the seven sacraments of, of the Holy Roman Catholic Church? Anybody tell me? Uh, give us one. Sorry? Communion, 
baptism, marriage. Sorry? And uh, ordination, I'll tell you, was one of them. Um, confirmation was a fifth. Um, anointing of the sick was a sixth. And last rites. Okay. I'm very disappointed, people. I mean, I didn't get it right. I mean, surely these GCSE people over there who do who do uh, religious studies should have answered those, those fat questions. Um, well, I didn't get it right either, so can you imagine lots more egg and flowers? And, um, and then I think it ended up with the, with the boat turning over and me in the canal, and, and then, yeah, so it was nice to have friends. Um, but, um, but I'm going to suggest that, that uh, I didn't really need to know the seven sacraments. I'll let you off the hook as well, because... There actually are only two sacraments. That's what the Protestant church would teach uh, out of scriptural uh, uh, basis, that there are actually only two sacraments. Now, what is the definition of a sacrament, you might ask? Um, it's kind of had a long uh, etymology, but basically it's come to mean um, that it is something that is instituted by Christ, first of all. A sacrament is something that's instituted by Christ, that he commanded it specifically to be done. And, of course, he didn't command that everyone should get married or, or that everybody should be ordained. So uh, those other ones are not all commanded by Jesus. Um, and then secondly, uh, they, they are bound with a sign that goes with them. And there's this physical sign which signifies something more profound. Uh, and that sign accompanies the, the, the command. So as we obey the command, there's a sign that goes with it. And, of course, we know that baptism has water as the sign uh, of a symbol of our washing of our sins uh, and of us being buried uh, and uh, raised, raised to life. Uh, and uh, then with communion, we have the bread and we have the wine, which are, of course, signs and seals of what uh, they signify. And so a sacrament is a holy sign and seal of the covenant of grace, which is immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong into the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of, Christ, of God in Christ according to his word. So uh, this is from the Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 27, and it just goes on to say that there is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or a sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified, whence it comes to pass that the names and the effects of the one are attributed to the other. So here we have up there a exit sign, okay? Now that exit sign, if there was a fire in this building, Sean would tell you that that exit sign doesn't save us. It's a sign to tell us where the fire exit is. And we follow the sign and we go through the door, and we are, we are saved as a result of that. And baptism and uh, communion are, are signs that point us to how we've been saved uh, and how we can receive more grace from God. And so that as we enter through those rites, those, those sacraments, those ordinances that have been given to us by Christ, as we enter through those things, we remember and we receive 
the, the grace of the salvation that we have already received, and we enjoy the benefits of that salvation in a fresh way as we can, uh, go through those things. And so both of these things were commanded specifically by Jesus for us to, um, to uh, undertake. And that's the first thing I want to say today, that they were commanded by Jesus. These things were not made up by the church as kind of nice religious rituals for the church or tradition. They, they were originally commanded by Jesus. And we want to submit to Jesus as Lord in every part of our lives, don't we? And we've been singing a couple of songs today where it says about Jesus is Lord. We want to submit to him as Lord. Sometimes I think that we can say that we are submitting to him as Lord, because actually what he's telling us happens to agree with what we already think. And so we are, um, for example, let's say that you are walking with Jesus, and what Jesus says and what you think kind of line up, and you agree with him, and you like what he says, love people, be loved, you know, all the things, nice things he said, and you agree with him. And then he says, right, I'm going that way. And you go, oh, no, but I don't like that. I'm going this way. Thank you very much. Actually, what we're discovering is we don't really submit to him as lords properly. We submit to him where it's convenient to us. Rather than actually saying, you know, it's not about my personality. We might say, well, it's just he, he says that, but I don't really agree with that because culture disagrees with that, so I don't really agree with that. Or, or, or he says that, but it doesn't really suit my personality, so I, I can't really submit to him when he says he says that. Um, actually, no. If, is, he Jesus, is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus Lord? Because if he is, then we want to walk with him and we want to submit to him in every area of our lives. And what we find in Luke and this latter part of Luke's gospel, which we've been walking through together is that we see that Jesus is Lord. And that's a fact. He is Lord. And we see that the Pharisees and the religious leaders think that they're in charge, uh, and they think that they've got Jesus where they want him, and they think that they are controlling the narrative and controlling the situation. But what we find time again as we go through these latter chapters of Luke is that actually Jesus is Lord of the situation. And we have a wonderful example of it in the passage we just read this morning, where he tells his disciples, Peter and John, to go to find a room in Jerusalem where they might have a Passover. Now, when there was Passover in Jerusalem, it was Jewish kind of uh, agreement that you would provide your house for free to people. Upper rooms of a, of a posher house uh, would be kind of like a little bit of a smaller room on top of the first floor. And you would provide that for free so that people could uh, have their Passover celebrations there. And, um, but, of course, it was a busy time. There were many, many hundreds of thousands of people pressing into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And how on earth are they, you know, they've left it a bit late here. And, and yet Jesus is in control. Uh, there's commentaries that like to say, well, Jesus has obviously made a pre-arrangement with someone that they would provide a room for him. It doesn't say anything like that. It does seem to me that what we see here is that Jesus knows uh, and is telling the guys, you know, look, you'll go and you'll find a man. That's unusual for a man to be carrying the water and the water jar in that culture. 
but you'll find him and he will have somewhere for you to have your Passover celebration. Jesus is in control. He knows the whole thing. The timing's all his. He's totally in control. And Jesus is in control of timing, of our lives, of our circumstances, of our situation, of everything. He is Lord. The question is, are we prepared to line up with him as Lord, or are we going to resist him and fight against him and not submit to him as Lord in every area of our lives? If we resist him, then we are on a losing wicket. We're we're fighting against the one who created everything and who is in control of all things. It tells us in um, Galatians 6 and verse 7, you can just see this verse pop up for us. In Galatians 6 uh, verse 7, it says there that, uh, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. In other words, if we try, I mean, there's this phrase, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, as miserable as sin. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's an old-fashioned phrase, isn't it? But it's actually a very good phrase, because sin is miserable. And people like to sort of pretend, oh, yeah, no, I'm happy, I, you know, I, I'm making the most of this, I'm, I'm happy. Actually, sin is miserable. And, and when we live in sin, we are in a place of, uh, not in a place of the joy that we should be in. It says, he who sows to, to this sinful nature will reap from that. But, but he who sows to the Spirit, he who submits to the Lord, will reap eternal life. There is joy, there is life in its fullness, there is good things. I'm looking at your faces and some of you don't look very convinced, but there is Living for him, submitting to him in every area of your life is very much the best option and best choice that you can make for every area of your life. And to the extent that you resist him, to that extent you are missing out on grace and blessing that God has for you. And to the extent that you submit to him, to, to that extent you are receiving more grace and you can expect his blessing. And so we need to be those who are willing to submit to Jesus in every part of our lives. I think that we would all be surprised if we really knew how much we still need to submit to Jesus as Lord in our lives. I think that if God, and he's very gracious because he tends to only reveal one thing at a time to us, doesn't he? But if he was to reveal everything that still has to be dealt with, that still isn't in line with his lordship, I think that we would be quite shocked. Because there's so much more in which we need to submit to him and to be sanctified by him. There are attitudes that we have that are not in line with him. There are, there are purity issues. There's how we use our tongue. There's, there's, there's slander and, and blessing and to how we use our tongue. There's our attitude towards money and towards generosity that still needs to line up more radically with him. There's, there's our attitude towards the Sabbath and, and honoring him on his day, on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, which we still haven't got right. There are so many areas, folks, where we still need to get our minds conformed, transformed by the renewing of our minds, as it says in Romans 12, so that, as it says in Romans 12, we will find out what his will is, his good, 
pleasing and perfect will. His will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And you will find that your life is in a good, pleasing, and perfect place when you are transformed by the renewing of your mind and fully submitted to him. That doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. doesn't mean that it's just going to be floating on clouds all the time. We know that. But it is going to be the best place that you can be if you are fully submitted in every area to him. Let me, let me, guys, don't resist him. If there's something in your life that you're just holding out, don't, don't do it because God's like, come on, I want to bless you. I want you to submit to me in this area. Um, Kate and I had a wonderful day yesterday at a wedding and um, we were down in Sussex with our great friends Graham and Carrie Bell and their daughter Georgia was uh, getting married and uh, about six weeks ago, Georgia suddenly said, um, you know, you're coming to our wedding. I don't suppose you could do the service and preach, could you? So, oh, you haven't organized anyone? Okay, fine. Yeah, we'll do it. So we, we were there, and it was a lovely day. In fact, uh, we have a couple of pictures here. Here we are. You see, just to prove that I'm a proper vicar, there you are. Uh, this, is, this is in the grounds of uh, Winton... Uh, Winton uh, Wiston, Wiston, Wiston Manor, all right, where they have the church weekend, and uh, the, the big building next to it is actually uh, where the, the foreign office have dignitaries and things, and they've had Obama and people come in and stuff. Uh, let's just see the next picture here, because that's an improvement. So there's the couple in front of the house who we, uh, we married, uh, Kenji and Georgia. Kenji is Brazilian. Yanagu, uh, Yanagu, uh, so he's actually got some Japanese in his uh, heritage as well. There's another picture of them. And uh, there, there, there they are. Now, Kenji and Georgia met at Bethel, the uh, church in uh, California, in Reading, in California. That's where they, they met. They went out to do a discipleship school from different countries, and that's where they met. Now, I guess this is being recorded, but I guess it won't necessarily go, go to millions of people, so I'll probably get away with it. Um, but actually, you know, we would have, and we have had some, some concerns and, and questions uh, about some of the, perhaps, emphases or, or teachings or, or practices of, of Bethel. And we've, we've had some concerns about how Georgia would uh, fare under that uh, system and so on. But actually, I want to say something here which is that, you know, God doesn't fit into our nice, tidy little theological boxes that we sometimes have. And God is doing good things in Bethel. And actually, this couple, what I noticed, you know, there we are, can we have the pictures back? What I noticed about uh, this wedding, you see, is that, I mean, it's so funny because Kenji arrived um, uh, uh, from Brazil and his parents arrived from Brazil a couple of days before. And Robson and Antonia uh, arrived from Brazil, and they landed and from Brazil, from a city, and here they are in this country pile, and they walk in, and it's like, ha, oh, we're in England. This is, <laughs> this is where our son is getting married. This, this is, we're in England. This is his estate or something. You know, they're probably thinking, wow, our son has just, you know, I mean, I tell you what, they had such a privilege that they managed to get that place through friends and contacts and so on. And you, you, the whole day, you thought, God's blessing is on these guys. His favor is on these guys. And you think, why? They just walked into this. 
in this wonderful marriage. And you think, why is God's blessing on it? And I think the answer is because they have submitted to Christ and they are people of faith. And God loves faith. God delights in faith. Imperfect expressions of faith, sometimes even theologically incorrect or, or slightly you know, questionable, you might say, but actually faith, God loves it. He is attracted to faith. He blesses faith. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, but that means that when there is faith, he is very pleased. When you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, he is very pleased. He loves it. And he loves to shower blessing on us when we simply express simple faith in Jesus, when we say, I'm going to trust and obey, there is no other way. I'm just going to obey him. When it doesn't feel very comfortable for me to do what he says, but I'm going to obey him, and he's going to bless, I, I, I trust and obey, there is no other way. When we say, you know, well, it doesn't suit me, and we make a good choice to trust him, to believe him, to hold on to his promises, thank you for your promise, Lord. When we hold on to those things, God sees that, and he's going to come through for you. When you take steps of faith, when you do acts of radical generosity or of faith or of sacrificial worship to God, God will come through for you and he will honor your steps of faith for him. And so it tells us here that uh, Jesus commanded us to obey him in every, in every area. Now, that was a long-winded rant that I wanted to share with you. Um, but it actually, it's preaching God's word, so I don't make apologies for it. But actually, in this passage, what we're seeing, of course, and I wanted to say that because I just feel there's a bigger thing for us today where he's calling us to submit to him. And in doing that, there's gonna be, he's going to unlock blessing for us as we choose to do that. But particularly, of course, what we have here is his command to remember him in communion. And so we read here in chapter 22 and uh, verse uh, 7. By the way, just to quickly go back on baptism, we are having baptisms on the 1st of October. I would just say this, if you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, then be baptized. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father's, uh, in the name of the Father. And then he said in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 38, uh, in response, people said, what should we do to be saved? And in Acts 2, 38, he, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so if you need to be baptized, don't hold back, don't resist, get baptized. You don't have to be super qualified. You don't have to have reached a certain level of maturity. It's just believe, and then it's like, it's like it comes as standard. It's just part of the package. It's like when you buy the car and the electric windows come as standard. It, baptism comes as standard for every Christian. Be, repent and be baptized. Uh, and if you have children who haven't yet, and I don't mind if it's young children, if there's a simple faith in Christ, then you, they can be baptized. So we're ready and we're happy 
to, and we would encourage you as parents to exhort your families to do that and to look at it. So then we're told also that we're to uh, observe this communion uh, uh, to break bread. And so in verse 7 of our passage, which we can probably just put back up there, in verse 7, it tells us this, that the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed had come. So what we have here is a Passover festival. Now, we all remember the Passover, don't we? This is, of course, when um, God miraculously delivered Israel out of Egypt. So Israel was under slavery to Pharaoh, and uh, they were not free. And then God, uh, through a series of, of judgments and plagues on Pharaoh, who was hardened and resistant, resistant refused to let his pe- the people go free until uh, finally this dreadful judgment came uh, in which, in which uh, the, the angel passed over, uh, passed through the houses, and, and the, the older sons uh, died. There was a plague that went through the houses of, uh, of Egypt. But God said that uh, they were to take the blood of the lamb and to put it on the doorposts, and that that, that would save the families who, who, who put the blood on the doorposts. And so the wrath of God passed by, it passed over those families who were trusting in the blood. And they were delivered. And of course, we know that they were then delivered out of slavery into, in, into freedom. A- and Jesus came to be the Lamb of God who would deliver us out of slavery from sin. That, that as we trust in him, as we put his blood over our lives, as we claim that, not through our own works, but through simply believing in him, that he passes over, that his wrath is passes over us, so that he's not angry with us, so that instead we go free, that we are no longer slaves, but we are set free. That's the Passover, that was the context, and this is now the meal that Jesus is celebrating with his disciples. I'm very struck how in verse 15 it says this, I have eagerly desired to celebrate this Passover with you before I suffer. It's a very striking verse. He says, I've eagerly desired to have this meal with you guys before I suffer. Jesus seems as if he was going to draw strength and courage from this meal that he ate with his disciples. Even Jesus needed to be strengthened. And as he took this bread and this wine with his disciples and reminded of what his mission was, reminded of what he was doing, he was strengthened. And we believe that as we take the bread and the wine, that God does strengthen us in our faith. It doesn't save us. We're already saved, but it strengthens our faith. That's why we do like to call it a sacrament. An ordinance is the other word you could use, and an ordinance is fine, but an ordinance really just describes a command that we should obey. But really what we're saying is that as we take the bread and wine, we're just remembering it's, it's a memorial to remind us of what Jesus did, and that's correct. 
But a sacrament takes us one step further where we're saying that not only are we remembering what he did, but we're receiving grace as well as we take this to ourselves. And so there is something that God imparts to us, not saving faith, but confirming and strengthening us in the inner man as we take it to ourselves. And this happens, by the way, not through the body itself being the blood, the actual body of Christ. We don't believe that. But through the the working of the Holy Spirit, who takes the elements and uses them to seal and confirm our faith in the heart, uh, in our hearts. And so Jesus is going to take this bread and this wine with his disciples. And notice what he says. I've longed to have this meal with you before I suffer. He is about to suffer the worst thing that any human being in history has ever suffered. Sure, plenty of people have died. But Jesus, who is eternally one with the Father, was about to be separated from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was about to be plunged into the darkness of hell and of our sin on the cross, separated from his Father for those, those time, that time and for those moments, the ultimate agony. But he was going to do it, and it was going to take courage. But he was going to do it so that we might not be separated from God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. And so as a result of that, now we can say, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor hell, nor sickness, or trouble, or persecution, or trials, or questions, or doubts. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because we're more than conquerors, because Jesus has broken the separation that there was, because he was separated for us. So that we never need to be separated from God, so that God will never leave us or forsake us. He says, this is a, the blood of my covenant. A covenant is a permanent agreement that God has made unilaterally from himself, that he is going to be faithful to us forever. And we're told, told to reciprocate his love and be faithful to him. But whether or not we always manage to do that, he's still going to be faithful to us. And so we're in that covenant relationship with him. And notice, of course, that this was a communal meal. And I should just say this quickly, that um, Jesus said, I've longed to eat this meal with you. It is a communal meal. I don't believe that uh, going to a person's house and just doing communion with a person in their their living room is is actually what Jesus was commanding. It is the body of Christ. It's the church together. We are participating in the body of Christ. When we break this bread, it is a loaf of bread that symbolizes the one loaf that we all belong to. And we're expressing a corporate act of worship together as God's church. And that's where uh, the context is is, I think, for us to be breaking bread with one another. Now, you may say, well, what about people who can't make it to church? Um, Can't they? 
I can think, if I think of the five, ten people that come to my mind who may or may not have been able to or chosen to come to church over the last five years or whatever, I can think of someone. I think Ray Grace. I don't think she could come to church. But I can't think of many others, to be honest, who couldn't have come to church, really. Depends on how important we think church is. Depends whether we think this is God's Sabbath day where we should gather as his people. Depends whether we think that this is the place we should be and that we want to be because that's what God has told us to do. And and so I think we should make the effort. We were, Kate and I were at this wedding yesterday and um, there was a wonderful couple, the grandparents, Alan and Beryl, Sussex, legends in their own lunchtime. And uh, they, they, they are an amazing couple. And uh, they're in their, I'm pretty sure they're in their early 90s now. It's, it, they are very, very frail. He is virtually blind. Um, so he, he was having to, he wanted to do a blessing over the couple and he had to watch the step. And Beryl just walks with him and, and helps him along uh, as he does things. And uh, over, I went and had a chat with him over at the reception. And uh, Alan's just said to me, he said, oh, me and Beryl, we're really looking, going, looking forward to going to the Commission Festival this year. Okay, really? We're not camping, fair enough. Bed and breakfast. We're coming. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that the Commission Festival necessarily, this year, the thing that we pushed hard and hard, so, so don't let me make you feel guilty about that. But, but that attitude which is we, we want to be there. We want to be where God's doing stuff. The church is where God's doing stuff. Don't we want to be there? Well, if you do, you're here, so well done. Okay, don't feel guilty because you're here. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah, we should be. Um, anyway, I'm going to draw this towards a close because, of course, what we see in this bread and this wine is that Jesus says in verse 22, chapter 22, verse 19, he says, this is my body. I've explained that this is not actually his body. He also said, I am the gate. He wasn't actually a gate. All right. This is my body. It means this, this, this bread symbolizes my body. And my presence is in this bread. But his body was right there. So it couldn't have been in the bread because it was, his body was there, you see. So it's, it's a tradition uh, which, we would, uh, which we would reject. But... Um, Nevertheless, he says, this is my body, uh, and he says, it's broken for you. And then he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. We're called to do this in remembrance of him. Because here's the thing, folks, we forget. We forget so easily, don't we? I mean, I forget. Jono forgets the name of, of Light Station. So... Uh, <laughs> now you've confused me. <laughs> you've ruined it. Uh, we forget. We forget so easily. We, we kind of have to forget because the brain's just not quite big enough to, to remember everything all of the time. But the thing is that we forget the things that are out of sight, out of sight, out of mind. And so he says, do this in remembrance of me because we need to remember him. C.H. Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher, uh, the Baptist preacher, the prince of preachers, um, 
he, he was a Baptist minister, so he wasn't really into liturgy that much. Uh, so in terms of, you know, doing uh, lots of liturgical things in the meeting. Um, but he was a great preacher, and, and uh, there's a wonderful ditty about him, uh, which I came across. There once was a preacher called Spurgey who didn't care much for liturgy. His sermons were fine. I make them as mine, and so do most of the clergy. Um, but anyway, that was Spurgey. Um, and Spurgey says this, C.H. Uh, Spurgeon said this when he was uh, preaching one time. And uh, he, everyone said, a great prince of preachers, he's preaching. And then he's talking about breaking bread. And he says, speaking of himself, that we have a worm in the heart, a pest house, a charnel house within, lusts, vile imaginations, and strong evil passions, which, like wells of poisonous water, send out continually streams of impurity. And then he says this, I have a heart uh, that, it, that I wish I could wring from my body. And he says, a soul which is a cage of unclean birds, a den of loathsome creatures, where dragons haunt and owls do congregate, where every evil beast of ill omen dwells, a heart too vile to have a parallel, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This is the reason why I am forgetful of Christ. That's Virgin. A den full of owls, a haunt of dragons, a den of loathsome creatures. That's his heart. That's why we need to remember Christ, isn't it? That it's not, thankfully, what's in our heart that saves us. It's, it's what he did that saves us. And so he lavishes us with his amazing grace. And so Spurgeon said that it's a little bit like the moon and the tides. He said this, that if you imagine the tides, they are affected by the moon much more powerfully than they are affected by the sun. Though the sun is a far greater object in the sky and is the source of light for the moon, and this is me adding to him, it's not Spurgeon, this is my bit. Um, though the sun is the source of power and light and far more impressive, yet the moon, by virtue of its proximity to us, has a greater influence on the tides than the sun does. Though the moon merely reflects the, the, the beauty of the, of the sun, the, the moon is the one that affects the tides. And in the same way, by virtue of proximity to us, the things that are close to us are the things that move us, aren't they? The things, our careers, our hobbies, a bit of applause from somebody, our little uh, enjoyments and so on, which, are, which can be good. But actually, those are the things that captivate us. Those are the things that move us. Meantime, the source of all those things, the sun, is the one that doesn't move us. And we need to be moved by him, the source of all life. And so therefore do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember my temptations in the desert where the first Adam had failed and, and given into temptation and we are in that Adam. And then remember Jesus who fought and won and resisted the temptations for us. 
that we might have that righteousness. Remember this Jesus who went to baptism and was declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember him as he submitted to baptism, that he was to be baptized in death for us. Remember him and his agony on the garden, in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, his agony there for us, dripping sweats of drops of blood for us. And remember him on the cross, dying for us, broken for us. Remember him. There's a hymn that I'll finish with, some lines of a hymn which say this. Here, O my Lord, this is a, a hymn. Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. And this is talking about communion. Here, O my Lord, I saw see thee face to face. Here would we touch and handle things unseen. Here grasp with firmer hands eternal grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. Here would I feed upon the bread of God. Here drink with thee the royal wine of heaven. Here would I lay aside every earthly load. Here taste afresh the calm of sin forgiven. This is the hour of banquet and of song. This is the heavenly table spread for me. Here let me feast and feasting still prolong the brief bright hour of fellowship with thee. Let's do that. Let's come and break bread together. Lord, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you that you give us far more than we deserve. We thank you that you did it all. Right now, Lord, we do want to submit every part of our lives to you. We do say to you, Lord, forgive us, please, for areas of resistance, we just hand them over to you. We want you to be Lord. We want to follow you, Lord Jesus, wherever that may lead. Show us, Lord. Show us if there's any, any wrong within us, Lord. Right now, as we take this bread and wine, Lord, remind us of our need of repentance, but also of the wonder of your grace and of your faithfulness to us, whatever. So we thank you now for this bread and this wine, and we pray that it would do us good in our inner beings, that we would be strengthened in our faith. We would come and bring hope to that person that we heard earlier has lost hope. We fill our hearts with thankfulness again. We remember you, Lord. We remember who you are. We remember what you have done for us. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.